Welcome to the Israel Conversation by Massah Leadership and Impact Center, the content engine behind Massah Israel Journey. We bring contemporary, challenging, and compelling Israel issues to light in ways that help us stay connected with what's really going on on the ground. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host... Liel Zahaviasa. How's it going, Liel? It's good. How are you? Good, thank God. And we are joined today by producer Matthew Lippman. How's it going, Matt? Very well, thank you. Nice to be able to join you guys again. All right. Yeah, this is a little throwback teacher's loungy version of the Israel conversation. It's teachers discussing uh, an issue that we face as Israel educators that um, Liel, I guess, what was it fair to say you had an experience that you wanted to discuss? Is that a, a fair way to frame it? Yeah, I think, yeah, I'll start with that. Um, kind of like a story that happened to me this last week. And then um, it, it, it brought up things I thought that um, many people of our students are dealing with that I think is like a larger Jewish question um, that I think is worth um, discussing. So um, the example that uh, happened to me this week was that I was working with um, a group this past Shabbat and the whole theme of the Shabbat was, um, was Jewish peoplehood and the idea of Jewish peoplehood and the responsibility or the connection of people who live, Jewish people who live outside of Israel versus inside of Israel, um, and kind of who's on the inside, who's on the outside. Um, this was a Massah group, uh, wonderful, wonderful, awesome people. Um, and somebody came up to me at the end of the Shabbat and said, you know, that she's, she doesn't know what to do. Because she's in this, um, she's caught in between her personal world in the United States with her friends and kind of, you know, the political um, political state of mind that most of her kind of community and culture is living in and how that very much clashes with Israel and with her uh, connection to Israel and her Zionism and her Jewish identity or the way that she wants to manifest her Jewish identity. Um, and so one of her friends came up to her and um, said before she moved, she came to Israel, she said, um, oh, you better not come back pro-Israel. Um, and so she came to me with this, with this story and she said to me, like, I don't, I just don't know what to do. And I think she, was she asking goes me back two to questions. her friend and says, she's pro-Israel. Her friend will mm-hmm. at least be angry at her. If not. At the, yeah. At the least. Right. <laughs> right at the very <laughs> least. Yeah. And I, so I think she, she ultimately was asking me two questions. I think the first question was kind of where can I get more resources? Where can I learn more about, you know, the history? And, and when next time someone comes at me and tries to sort of get in, get, get into the, the Israeli Palestinian conflict with me and have those conversations and have those discussions or talk about Zionism from sort of like a more historical um, place. So I think that was kind of one element that she was asking for kind of where can I, basically get more information and learn how to respond to someone who, who comes at me starting to sort of start a, an, an argument or a conversation or a, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, kind of that. And then the other, the other thing that she was, um, the other thing that she was asking, I think maybe sort of more under the, underneath the surface was like, how do I deal with, with my identity that is connected to Israel and I, you know, I'm here for a year and I, I very much love Israel and I very much love being Jewish and I love my Jewish identity and I love, you know, and I have this very strong Zionist connection to the state of Israel. Um, and then also back home in my environment, there, a lot of the, like I was saying, a lot of the, the political and cultural, um, I guess, I guess motif that they're kind of living in is, um, is, is very much, liberal, very much left-wing, very much, you know, the causes that they stand for and the causes that they talk about um, 
are are come into conflict with Israel and not, they don't need to come into conflict with Israel, but the situation in the United States currently is that those issues do come to conflict in Israel. So one of the things that she told me was when she says to people, I, you know, Oh, I am a Zionist or I am going to Israel. Um, so people say, Oh, are you a Republican? And so it automatically puts her in this category of, I am, you know, I do not align with these, Liberal uh, social justice issues. Yeah, exactly. So she is, she's other. You're one of the um, other and, people. And, You're on the other side. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's in, 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 on a good day, right? She's othered mm-hmm. on a good day. On a bad day, she could be canceled. She could lose friends. She could, you know, be uh, pushed out of the community. I, I think for everyone, it's a little bit different, obviously, depending on what kind of friends you have, uh, which is also part of well, the Well, other is just a step on the way to canceled. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and I think this is something that kind of struck me because I, I didn't have an answer for her in that moment. And not just that, but I think that there, this is something that a lot of young people who are coming and spending time in Israel and want to form this or want to strengthen rather their connection to Israel um, with the knowledge and understanding that when they return home, they're going to be faced with all these issues. Um, so for me as an educator, I sort of was put in a situation of, well, I, I, I don't have a clarifying answer for her. And also I want to say something that could potentially help her or, or give her some guidance um, to what to do when she, um, when she comes back, goes back and potentially faces all these things. So uh, I'll give one more example because I think it's relevant and I didn't share mm-hmm. this with you before the podcast, but um, this week I was teaching and one of my students came up to me. She's going to Boston university next year and Boston university um, has this big rock it's called the Boston, the BU Rock, okay? And everybody knows about it. And someone this week uh, spray-painted free, free – someone this – everybody in Boston University knows uh, about it. And I, she – Sorry, yeah, it's a rock, R-O-C-K. It, it's just – yeah, it's just a big in rock. The USA. In In the middle of the campus. Yeah, exactly. Okay, because I thought you were going to say it's a big rock concert or something, but it's not. It's uh, a big rock. Okay. It's a big right. physical rock in the middle okay. of campus. And someone spray-painted this rock, Free Palestine with um, Palestinian flag. And – um and so then the Israel club at BU re- like took a picture and reposted this on Instagram and or Facebook. And they wrote, this is anti-Semitic. So then she came up to me before class and she said, she showed it to me and she said, look, I, I want to have this conversation and talk about whether or not this is anti-Semitic or anti-Israel because mm-hmm. I'm struggling with, like, I, I, she's like, I basically don't accept the premise of the Israel group that is stating that this is anti-Semitic. So we had, we had a really awesome conversation about it. We opened it up in class and it was great. Um, but again, this is something that she's really thinking about and that she's really, she's like, well, is this like, is this anti-Semitic? And if so, and, and I don't believe it's anti-Semitic, but the Israel club seems to believe it's anti-Semitic. So it, I think it, 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 it furthers the issue or brings, brings to light even more. So the issue of, am I on this side or on that side? Um, and she can't find herself in either, I think. Um, so that was another example that happened this week that I think is sort of attached to this whole story. That, mm-hmm. That's interesting. So if I've understood, she, she feels othered, but from the other side, basically. Yeah, from the pro-Israel side, at least in this specific case. But I, mm-hmm. I don't think she's the only one either to face or to experience that that as well. Of like, oh, well, okay, so if I'm not going to be accepted here, you know, in one space, then I'll go to the other space. And the other space might be the Hillel and might be the, I don't know, the pro-Israel club, like we were saying. But also there, those those people who who are saying what they're saying maybe also don't align with my values and my um, and you know where I stand because the at the end of the day on a on a political level these these young people that we're working with for the most part they really align with the you know progressive liberal 
causes that are that are hap- that are you know um, taking place right now in the United States, which makes sense. Um, and then there's this exception with this Israel thing. So when someone says, "Oh, you're going to Israel, you must be Republican," mm-hmm. that sort of puts them in a in a very tough spot. Mm-hmm. Matt, you're 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 really. I'm telling you. You're so angry that I hear you. I don't know if you realize it. No, that's Matt's I'm adorable so little dog. That's okay. Hey, if there's somebody in the listening audience who doesn't like dogs, they can just turn off the podcast right now. I stand for your dog, Matt. I will not allow the dog to be othered. What's your dog's name? I was going to make a free your dog's name joke, but I forgot your dog's name. Okay. Shaki. Free Shaki. That sounds weird. I'm sorry I said that. Uh, now I'm uncomfortable with me. Uh Look, the, the whole the whole story is is unbelievably sad from every possible direction. All, all of those stories, um, you know, your students two questions, and you get this very often from students, like, how do I how do I get resources? Okay, so first of all, it's essentially the question that this that the that the person came to Shammai. You know, can you teach me the Torah on one foot? Mm-hmm, we live right. we live in an age where all information is instantly accessible. Everybody knows how to get any resource. And they always come to teachers saying, how do I get resources? I think the question is, what can you give me that's like five minutes of my time that gets me everything I need to know? And so, uh, and, and here in this context, it's, I know I have an opinion about something, but I don't have information to back up that opinion. What can I read that, right. that gives me things to say that justify my opinion? In other words, there's a whole world of lack of understanding of what learning and critical thinking are when students ask me that question that I, that I can't address directly because I don't want to be off-putting, but is. Well, but, but I also, I also think that another element of that is I don't trust any of the resources that I, that I know I have yeah. access to. And I trust you. I think that's also a very big part I, of, piece of the agree. puzzle here. I think they're asking us to be selective for them because as you say, Mike, there's like a million different resources they could take. So how do they know which one is reliable? How do they know which one is trustworthy? Part of being a critical thinker is knowing how to look at the back of a book, go to a bookstore, look at reviews. In other words, I can help them shortcut that thing. But I don't think, you know, if you say to them, oh, why don't you buy Gordis's book on the history of Israel? They very often are like, oh, okay. And they didn't exactly mean read a book. Right. They want clips. They want a short well, well, article or something, right? So so, so there, there, is, there, is a, there is a cultural... It, it, the information, it, 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 it's a visual, by the way, not a very long book, certainly not a hard book. I haven't read it, but I've read Gordis writes very fluidly. He's not a hard person to read. Uh, I've read a lot of Gordis's things. So, and, and, and they just want, uh, you know, is there like a Netflix documentary that I could watch maybe, or, you know, some YouTube there videos? Yeah, I also would like my students to read a book. I realize I'm an old man, but I, but I, but I but I mean it seriously. Like, we're not in training to make our side win. I, I I refuse to enter back into the game with these people who are saying, "Well, which team are you on?" I other you if you don't agree with me, and now I need to read to back up my opinion. I I I think. I, I think that's a devastatingly difficult culture to live in for anyone. And you you constantly, you know, if it's not going to be Israel or Judaism, it'll be something else, that you have to like walk these party lines and people don't tolerate disagreement. There's a whole, I, I, I think what's happening to the student you're describing is that she has bought into the, you know, second half of the 20th century American narrative because it certainly wasn't true at the beginning of the 20th century, 
But in the second half of the 20th century, there's this narrative that you can be whatever you fit in the mosaic. Your, your ethnic identity, you can wear with pride. And, you know, you know uh, if you're black, you don't have to straighten your hair anymore. You know, you can wear mm-hmm. the hair the way it grows naturally. And if you're a Jew, you can walk around on the street with a kippah. You don't have to, you can take it off in business, but you don't have to. And people can use their ethnic names now. They don't have to Americanize. Not only do they not have to Americanize their last names anymore, they don't even have to Americanize their first names. And there's this sense of the the narrative of the late 20th century in Western culture in general, in the States in particular, was, well, no, you, nobody's going to be othered anymore. And it's not true anymore. We're back to the norm. That was the that was abnormal. That was whatever it was, 50, 60, 70 years of an abnormal situation where the post-World War II world was like, we're not doing these ethnic racist things anymore. We're just not. Well, uh, the people who grew up remembering that horror or raised by the people who remembered that horror or grandchildren of the people who remembered that horror are this generation. And this generation is just back to... You know, the, if your name is Ari or, you know, Liel, I don't think people would automatically other you. But if Ari or Liel likes Israel, well, you're out. You're out. And, it, and it's the old Jewish question of how much are you willing to suppress your identity to fit into the culture around you? Because we won't let you in if you exhibit your culture openly. And so now you can wear a kippah. And you can have a Magen David necklace, but if you support Israel, so that's the thing. And it's not inherently different than what Jews have always faced. But these young people were raised by parents who didn't face that. And so for them, it's a bit more of a shock. Because the othering is based on different things. The othering now seems Mm -hmm. to be based on certain ideology or beliefs, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the way I look or the way that I sound. Right? Those were more... You know, I think sort of things. I think the Trump administration's uh, justice reform policies were really good. Oh, you love Trump. There's this, yeah. there's this all or nothing <laughs> ism. You know, oh, I, I, I thought, uh, I thought the Biden administration handled, uh, I don't know, I, I, uh, the, 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 the COVID relief thing well, or, or getting COVID vaccines out. Oh, you hate Israel. There's this. Okay, I mean, it, the the we have we have left the age of the Enlightenment values of Western society, which say that critical thinking people can reason together. They're supposed to disagree on a whole host of issues, but in intelligently articulating their positions, they can learn from each other and they can come together, and that's just not the atmosphere. These kids are growing up in a postmodern world that is becoming tribal, I would say pagan, and it's about team and power and me against you. We are, I always have the danger of sounding overdramatic, but in this unraveling of the values that Western liberal democracies have been based on since World War II, uh, guess what, Jews? That's gonna hit you, it is. It really, really is. And one way or the other. And if it's, you know, Jews getting punched in the face, oh, but they're Hasidim, so we don't really care. Or, you know, there was, I would say America had a really strong response to uh, the synagogue in um, in Pennsylvania. Where was it in Pennsylvania? Tree of Life. 
Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. It was in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So, so there was a strong reaction. And I remember thinking like, okay, this is what's different. In other words, America hasn't had this sort of shul violence, at least in a very long time, if ever. I mean, this, that was the mo- biggest shooting of Jews in, in America. So they're not used to it like European Jews are, but they also, like the outcry from all different, lots of different groups in America I was like, well, I guess America still really is different. But as the anti-Semitic, you know, whether it was vandalism or people getting punched or or Hasidim being stabbed at Hanukkah parties and hacked with machetes, it got like less and less in the news and people got kind of used to it. And it's just part of the fabric of American life to a certain extent. And so this student saying, well, you know, how can I wear my Zionism proudly if it means I'm going to get excluded? I think I think this student is facing the choice that Jews have faced since the Enlightenment, which is, well, here's your choice. You can be who you are proudly, and people who are conditionally friends on you being like them won't be your friend anymore. Or you can suppress the things in your identity or just change your own identity to fit in. Now, that's not a very comforting thing to say. I'm, not, I'm talking now between educators. I'm not saying what I would say to the student. But I honestly think that's what this student faces. That's what the student's asking. You know, in, in, in a world where a few years ago at the Anne Frank Museum, a young man working there was told he can't wear his keep out of work at the Anne Frank Museum because they don't want controversy in the Anne Frank Museum. So the hmm. people who ran the Anne Frank Museum were saying, you have to hide your Jewish identity to be safe here, to make this a safe environment. And there I was- that one. Wow. Yeah, that, yeah. Okay, so we are now in a in a reality that people, when when Nazis go on parades in Charlottesville, Virginia, saying Jews will not replace us, when uh, 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 what does CAIR stand for? CAIR the that that spokes the, the woman in, in Chicago who gave that speech about how Muslims can't trust Jews because they're not really your friends and they're there's just part of a conspiracy to turn against you and they're going to stab you in the back. All right, <laughs> I mean this is the world and I, and and I I don't know how to do I you know one of the things that always aggravated me about the Harry Potter novels and it comes up later in the series is that Dumbledore's an idiot. Because he wow, knows a lot more. From this hot take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the hot new book. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, Harry Potter. <laughs> but he never warns Harry. Oh, they made they made a movie of it, didn't they? Really? I look forward to seeing it. <laughs> but they but he never warns Harry. And he always says, I didn't, I just I didn't want to I couldn't tell you that you're part of this prophecy, that you're locked in a death duel with the most evil, powerful, potent wizard there ever was. And so I never told you and I never got you ready. And now that your friends are being killed around you, it's time I have to really tell you. I just didn't want to give you that bad news because it's so upsetting. And I always thought, what a terrible educator he was. <laughs> Because sometimes you have to give, you know, I, I mean, can you imagine an oncologist? Well, I, I, your diagnosis was stage two cancer, but I didn't want to tell you because it was such an upsetting diagnosis. Now that it's stage four, let's start dealing with it. I, I you know, that's, yeah. I think we are in that stage. So I think one of the things that's confusing, I'll just say about that, is that in the mindset of this um, of this generation, in, in in a time where there's a lot of ideas coming up of like what it means to be a global citizen Mm -hmm. and the equality that I think people kind of are just inbred into of like, 
all human beings in the world are equal. We all share this world, you know, very, very kind true. of, um, yeah. And it, it is very true. Jewish. That, that is that a Jewish value. That, that idea comes from Judaism. Right. And so if, so, so if you're being raised on that, but mm-hmm. not necessarily being raised with the other aspect of what you're discussing, which is kind of the, that you are born into this, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but if you're born into this kind of story, this be part of this tied to this prophecy tied to this, like your example, Dumbledore example. Our nation has those a two things. I think clash identity. Yeah, right. I don't. Right, I don't exactly. think they clash. But I think in terms of of the people that we're teaching, that they were taught one and not the other. Mm-hmm. So, and for them, I think it clashes. And yeah. so, when they come to Israel, they come to Israel for who, like a multitude of reasons. For whatever reason they come here for, mm-hmm. but they're missing that that element. Well, they're coming to they're missing to that hear element. about that. The particularist narrative is what they're coming to learn more about. Imagine the ones who didn't come here. It's much easier, mm-hmm. and and many more of them will abandon the particularist national identity for the universalist identity and assimilate. And we know I, that I there is. I think, I think they do. Of it does. I think they do. Even they are. We and that's look what at, I was saying. I think that that's yeah. the education they've had. Nothing. That's the environment they're in. The culture they're in. Look at Pew uh, twenty twenty compared to. Pew 2013 compared to the the community, you know, the one it was following up on from 2010. You know, the inter the intermarriage rate is in the 70s. The the numbers of affiliated Jews is shrinking, and non-affiliated Jews is now like the largest denomination. Reform and conservative are are shrinking demonstrably. Jewish identity is America. American Jewish numbers are not growing. They're if anything shrinking. So yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's right. Because they are, right. they are they are buying into this universalist identity thing and losing their particular national Jewish yeah. identity. Yeah, I, I think also it comes back to a question, Leal. You, you you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, not on on the podcast, but when we were in our educators forum about a question that the students deal with. I I know at some point you'd like to grapple with that as a dedicated episode on the podcast, but um, this idea of are Jews white? Mm-hmm. Right, that, that that's it, right? Like, do I fit in? And if I do fit in, how? And if I don't fit in, well, why not? Right, mm-hmm. the, the, and mm-hmm. and that's also grappling with that issue of um, universalism and and particularism and and how those two play in with each other. I, I Am think I most, part of the majority? Am I Matt, not? I think most American Jews think they are white. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in my experience, when I, I've, I've been throwing that question out this year, actually, um, mm-hmm. and in my experience, at least in in my limited scope of my, of my classroom, most do. Most and do. and yeah. you're, to, you're talking to the kids who are the most particularly Jewish. You're yeah, in a very out of, out of what exists. So now what do you yeah. think is happening out there in the rest of the Jewish world? Zionists don't see Jews as part of the white world. They see us as a particular ethno-national group. And so, and so it is no surprise that the Jewish masses – in the diaspora are assimilating, which is exactly what the founders of Zionism said would happen. Everything, everything that does, no, no, look, I I understand that political movements is differences of opinion. As a Zionist, I have my approach, but I understand there are other approaches. I am buried and in danger of being overwhelmed by the the cognitive bias of uh, confirmation bias, which is everything is proving everything that 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 Alkali and Kalisher and Hess and Pinsker and Lillian Bloom and Herzl, everything they wrote is happening before my eyes. 
Diaspora is not, Western diaspora will not allow Jews, does not create the environment for Jewish identity to successfully exist over centuries. It can last decades, but it won't survive centuries. And so we're watching this slow motion process and we're educating very often people who are in that liminal zone that they're, they're, they have a foot in both. Yeah. Right. Sure. And, and that's exactly, I think, what, what Liel's student, the yep. one that we were talking about at the beginning, yep. what their problem is, right? They don't yep. quite know which side of the line or how to shift their, their feet almost to which side of the line to go on, or can you coexist in both? And, and what you're suggesting, Mike, is she can't, which is also that bad news, right? <laughs> that she well, I'm saying she has three options. She can choose to focus on the particular. She can focus, she can choose, that's one. She can two, she can choose to assimilate to the universal or three she can do what most people do which is not choose and just go with the force of inertia yeah a lot of which usually you end up flowing into the the river flows to the sea and you end up i think that's what most people do they don't consciously choose so what would that look like then for her i'm just i mean obviously she's not here and we can't ask her but i'm wondering what that would look like but she'll get she'll get back to america and she'd Mm -hmm. be with this non-supportive community and eventually become part of that? Is that what we're suggesting? Well, in the fictional story, in the in the choose-your-own-adventure fictional story, she will either drift away from them because she refuses to give up her love and connection to her homeland, or she will choose to turn on her homeland in order to fit in, or she won't really do either, but little by little... She'll get more and more convinced by little things until she'll look back a few years from now and not feel attached to Israel because she's been trying and trying more. She'll become like Peter Beinart. I'm trying so hard to listen to the other side to make sure that I feel good about myself, that eventually I stop hearing my own identity and I'm just become part of that other identity. So I'll that's other what myself. I was wondering I'll internally what three would look like. Yeah, okay. Peter Barnard. I I will internally convince myself that really I'm part of the other group. Somehow, it's a it's a it's a devastating. But even when the other group won't accept, won't ultimately won't accept you. Yeah, that's a story as old. I mean, mm-hmm. you know that 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 that's a story much older than the Soviet Jews yelling "Yehi Stalin, Yehi Stalin," or the kibbutznikim here in Israel yelling "Yehi Stalin, long mm-hmm, live Stalin." For sure. So, and for you sure. know, you really think you really think Stalin is going to? And they did. And he did. He was he was giving them position and, and 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 taking Jewish artists and Jewish creators and giving them, and then eventually had them lined up on the wall and shot them. All right, I, I, and that, mm. that's how a Zionist sees history. Now you could argue, okay, idiot, just because it happened in Stalin's time doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen every other time. That pattern doesn't doesn't happen again in America. And a Zionist says that pattern always rehappens. You know what else is a pattern? Part of the pattern is the people in Spain or Poland or Germany or the Soviet Union saying, yeah, but this one isn't going to be like that. That's part of the pattern. Another thing that just came up as we were talking about the particulars, particularism versus universalism, um, I, I led a few groups this week and last week that were in Yudav uh, Shomron. They were in the West Bank. We went to Bet El and we went to Peduel and we went to Hebron. There's a lot of Nice. Talking about the, the con- yeah, talking about the conflict, talking about, you know, what land should be, should belong to, you know, Israel and what shouldn't and why and, and all that. 
And one of the things but, that by I by the way, I, Leo, I, part of the reason part of the reasons you give such a universalist approach and teach and have them hear from different people who disagree is because you also agree in that universalist value that everyone should be heard to understand what's going on. You have them speak to Palestinians and you have them you know, sure? you, you, because you're you're a Jewish you're not just an Israel educator, you're a Jewish Israel educator who teaches in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And and like you said, I mean that is that is definitely part of our program to mm-hmm. hear from both sides in both in, on both tour days, actually. Um, but one of the things I found myself saying ultimately was discussing, discussing the mindset or trying to help them understand the mindset of, of sort of the, the people who choose to live in, in the West Bank and in Yudash and Ron, the sort of like the settler mindset, as we call it. Right. Mm-hmm. And understand, you know, what they, what, how they understand their legitimacy to be, to be, to be in that, in that particular plot of land. Right. And I said, you have to understand the the, connect, the the religious connection, the spiritual connection, the biblical connection, the particularist connection of how National somebody who chooses to live here. Historical connection, yeah, yeah, all right, exactly. And I said, if you if if that is not an, a part of your Zionism, then there really is no reason for us to be standing here right now. Mm-hmm. Like, then it really should be Palestine. Like I, I said something like that along those lines. And I think it was a moment where they were like, huh, okay. And and most of the people in the group that I was speaking to, really their Zionism, and also in my classes actually, their Zionism con- doesn't doesn't consist of those consist of those elements necessarily. Mm-hmm. When we talk about, you know, why is it important to be uh, to have access and be in control and have sovereignty over our, you know, um, n- national and historic and biblical religious sites, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, most of them don't see that as a as a value. Most of them see that as kind of ridiculous. And they say, you know, like we shouldn't, if it means peace or that, then, you know, that's how they kind of, that's how they grasp. Well, there's a large, very large segment of Israelis that would agree with them. Yeah. So, so one of the ways that I broke it down was your Zionism doesn't consist of this. The people who live here, their Zionism does. And I think that sort of ties back to what you were saying before about like this idea of, am I, do I understand the world and, and the Jewish people in a particularist kind of uh, a frame of reference or or national or, or sorry universalist why um, uh, the, the israelis yeah. who say we should return we should leave hebron to make mm-hmm. peace they're not mm-hmm. being universalist they're saying we want a strong and stable state of israel for it to be a stable the 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 strongest advocates to leave the entire west bank are arguing that because we believe in democracy and we want israel to be particularly jewish we don't want a one-state solution with Palestinians. We want to separate from the Palestinians so that our state can have a discreetly and clearly Jewish identity. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that they're abandoning the, the historical particularism of who no. we are? No, uh, certainly not. No, I can't. I can't visit Mordechai and Esther's grave in 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 Persia right now in Iran. And I, I'm not saying let's go fight a war because I can't visit that particular historical place. Doesn't mean I've abandoned my national identity. It means because mm-hmm. of security reasons, I no longer have access to that area. But rather than endanger lives to get access to that area, I'm going to prioritize keeping lives safe because I care about the Jews in particular. But I, 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 I would sort of add to Leo's question then, because with the with the example you gave of Iran, that's under a different. Mm-hmm. regime, a different government, whatever. Here, Jews have the opportunity, right? It's under Israeli control to, to varying uh, linguistic degrees, but it's under Israeli control, a lot of these areas, right? So then um, 
what you're talking about giving up is different from trying to gain right i feel like I, maybe it's semantics but to me maybe but I, but I think is, if i and, and this is not my necessarily my political position but I'm, I'm arguing something that i don't necessarily agree with i mean i don't agree with it but i i, I could argue let's surrender complete control of hebron and so that's the sometimes the the shortest road is the long road you think you have a shortcut you're going to keep the military there making sure that jews can be go visit there Okay, well, you've just increased the enmity so that we can't live in peace for who knows how long, how many generations. If we leave and hand it over and thereby speed up the process by which Jews and Palestinians can live in peace as two states, then we'll be able to visit it. Once once there's genuine peace between Israelis and Palestinians, then just like Palestinians will be able to come visit uh, Al-Aqsa, we'll be able to visit Marat HaMachpelah and Hebron in Palestine, and we'll be living in peace, and we have complete access. You don't need sovereignty to visit a religious, uh, historical uh, uh, tourist spot. And so, and so, and so, mixing up the fight of sovereignty over uh, over particular spots of particular significance is actually slowing down the progress of our people. I, I think that's the coherent. I don't again. It's not my position, but I'm saying the people mm. you, you, is let. Meretz is not anti-Zionist. They're not anti-particularist. They just have a broader universalist perspective within their particularism. But they do want the state of Israel to remain a Jewish state. They're not for a one-state solution. People who want a one-state solution are saying, Zionism's over. And there are Israelis saying that also. They're just not really successful in Israeli politics because most Israelis think they're idiots. What about those who are saying we should have a one-state solution but treat one group of people as second-class citizens. That, that's extremely well, those, uh, those are Okay, but that's the, that's the other fringe in Israeli politics, some of whom have made it into the Knesset now, who are saying, we, we want a Jewish identity, we just don't care about democracy. So screw democracy, and we'll have a Jewish state without democracy. Okay, well, they're very particularist, and they've lost sight of the universalist value of the progress of civilization, that giving individuals liberty leads to a better life for everyone. They don't believe that anymore. They're so particularist, they just don't care. You know, you you hear horrific things like, you know that 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 video that that student released of his teacher in high school saying Hitler wasn't wrong about his methods; it just applied to the wrong people. You know, if that's being said, wow. and and you know, I hope that's vanishingly that? rare in Israeli. What? Where was that? I didn't hear that. It was at high school in 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 the Shamron a few years ago. Students were te- students had been videotaping because now everybody has a camera everywhere, so students were leaking out videos. So first they were leaking out like misogynist stuff, but then they started leaking out like racist things that their teachers were saying. And the teachers were saying horrible things. I mean, that that was more or less a quote. Again, I'm terrible. Wow. Okay, so that's, okay, but that's, so, so, I mean, that's particular, that's ultranationalism. That's particularism to the extent that it doesn't believe in any universal values. And, you know, and that's, offensive to v- the vast majority of Israelis, as is universalism to the point where particularism disappears. Like Israelis who are arguing, look, Zionism did its job. We can now live in a Judeo-Arab state called Palestine or Israelstein or Pisrael or whatever you want to call it, and that's going to go well. Most Israelis are like, you're a bloody idiot. Like, that's just not, you're out of your freaking mind. I don't know what planet you're on. Most Israelis the the right is the emphasis on the particular the left is the emphasis on the universal both accept both 
and and then the differences are and, and and in a healthy culture you want people who place in emphasis on different things to argue and compromise so that both sides get weighed carefully before stepping forward with decisions that's that's what that's why functionally that's the big advantage of de- democratic systems over other systems is that it allows humans by nature cling to a particular position and so you want the people of different positions to argue it out because none of them have a monopoly on truth the truth is somewhere there is wisdom in the crowd and so uh that that's what we're aiming for what this student is looking for is and I'm, again, I, this sounds harsh to the student, so I, I feel like I'm being mean. But but here's the ugly reality. What the student is saying is, what can I watch on YouTube that'll give me something to say to my friends that'll make them accept my pro-Israel position by convincing them? There is nothing you can watch for an hour that will do that. Your friend, quote unquote, is not going to be convinced because it's no longer a rational argument against or about Israel at all. Israel is a colonial state, really. So when these 18-year-old Jews moved here in the the 1880s and they left their homes, they were there to rape the resources of Palestine, a country that had no produce, to send them back to Russia? Because that's what colonialism is. You're telling me the first and second Aliyah they were they were what representing the czar because that's not what they thought they were running away they wanted nothing more to do with russia they wanted to come to what they saw as their home now you say but it wasn't their home if you don't agree with them okay but they honestly thought that they were not this was not like the afrikaners in 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 south africa this was not like the pilgrims coming to america these were people trying to rebuild their homes in 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 place where there were a few hundred thousand people altogether the populations were tiny then in what was called palestine and the locals there didn't particularly mind or or, or okay so the the whole casting of the zionist story in this ahistorical it, it, it's there isn't this is not a good faith argument over Israeli policy, which I grew up with. That I that I've been used to. This is yeah. I'm not really sure it's an argument about Israeli history or policy it's not, at all. It's not right. It's Israel right. is on the other side. Those are bad guys. Yeah. We put them with I don't know all cops. Yeah. How the hell did that happen? All cops. Everybody who owns a gun like I, the, the the list of you know evil yeah yeah it's okay. almost like it's intersection it's intersectionality in a way but like in a different way but it's the same sort of idea of smushing values together yeah and saying, well if you care about this you're going to care about this and you care about this and if you don't care about this then you right like it's this you want to come to the, the black problem. lives matter protest then you have to argue that palestine should be free now but in terms of that rock in boston if the mm-hmm. person who painted that mm-hmm. meant the Palestinians should be given a state in the West Bank and Gaza, then mm-hmm. it was not anti-Semitic. Right. I don't think that's what they that's meant. That's what we that's what we talked about. Right. That's I think exactly they meant, what we talked about. We the there should be no state of Israel. It should be destroyed. And the Jews, although they define themselves as a nation, I don't. I define them as a religion. Mm-hmm. A religion should never have power, and so their state should be taken away from them because it has no right to exist, which would put mm-hmm. the 6.7 million Jews who live there mm-hmm. in danger of massacre and death. But I'm just going to casually spray paint that on a rock. 
I think that's right. anti-Semitic. Right. So that's literally how we broke it down. I said, I, I, yeah. I said pretty much exactly that. And then I said, you know, if we were to ask the person who spray painted it, where, okay, so let's say it's from the river to the sea. So it's all Palestine, right? Where mm-hmm. do you want the Jews to go? And this is something that I've heard that I've asked and I've heard answers to several times, which is like, well, go back to America, go back to Europe, go back mm-hmm. to, you know, wherever you came from. And that's a, that's a huge, I think, uh, sentiment of the other side. We mm-hmm. frequently hear that. And mm-hmm. so, and then I, and then, so then we talked about how, okay, so that's, so how, why is that anti-Semitic? Go back to where you came from. Oh, cause that really worked out really well for us before, you know, and then you can just trace back history. It's not that difficult. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was helpful. We broke that down, but yeah, it's, it's also, hard when in a world where people get hard to def- when the Israel yeah, when the Israel club just to finish but when the Israel club does put that up on social media and it says this is anti this is anti-semitic right without breaking it down in a way that that we you just did and I was able to do in class that's also alienating because now I want to maybe she wants to be part of the Israel club she wants to find the resources and support through them from them but not if they're just going to post that and say this is anti-Semitic, right? Where there's like, sh- she's smart enough to know that there's some kind of, it's, that's not, it's, it's not exact. Right, right, but you and I understood what we just said by giving a list of bullet points that define it because we know it. If I said those bullet points to students, I'd have to prove that that is, that is hours of conversation to get mm-hmm. that across. It's not bullet points. And the fact that political discourse is an Instagram picture that says this is anti-Semitism means you're feeding mm-hmm. to the collapse of Western civilization. You're turning Western discourse into an image with a caption. That's not political discourse. That's You can make a political cartoon that makes an argument symbolically, and there are works of art that combine pictures. I'm not saying art and imagery can't be used in politics. Of course, it always has been. That's what a flag mm-hmm. is. Or is the guy in the video we like, Matt, that's not a flag. That's a, <laughs> that's a symbol. What? All flags are symbols, you idiot. But, but, uh, uh, but, 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 this, but Instagram politics. Yeah. I, I told the story a hundred times. When, at, when the first political TV commercial in the United States was for President Dwight David Eisenhower. It's a little cartoon guy saying, I like Ike. I like Ike. And it was very successful, and and Eisenhower's poll numbers shot up, and so Adlai Stevenson's campaign, the 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 perennial loser in in American presidential elections, Adlai Stevenson, his team came to him and said, "Mr. Stevenson, we have to make a commercial." I said, what do you mean a commercial? Eisenhower's TV commercial is really successful, and Stevenson said, "Are you telling me that Americans should pick their president based on the same level of evidence as they pick their laundry detergent?" <laughs> I, won't, I won't participate in that cheapening of the democratic process. Now, he was wrong, but he was right. Yeah. <laughs> he was yeah. right. Yeah. And then decades later, you end up with game show hosts as president. And okay, so we're, we're in, in other words, this, what you're describing is part of a much deeper set of messes. There's a whole, mm-hmm. there's a whole world of unraveling that's going on here that leads to your students' right. angst. And we haven't really, I, I, I am a believer and, and I, I am absolute, I am the anti-Dumbledore and I could be a complete idiot. I'm not, I'm, I, I, I'm only expressing my opinion. I won't even defend it. I think you have to tell students the truth as delicately, in as easy a way for them to hear as possible. I think you have to tell them the truth. And often they can't hear it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the, I think, I think when placed in the position of Jeremiah, be Jeremiah. 
I don't know. See, I, I think when, when Leo brought us that this dilemma, and I know we need to finish up now, but when Leo brought us this kind of this uh, scenario, uh, I, I felt it as a dilemma because on the one hand, yeah, what you're saying makes sense. Tell someone the truth right? that you have to deal with it. Truth hurts, but sometimes you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, in this particular situation, I don't know. There's something that like sticks in the throat. Like you, you want to say, you want to say, ah! the words won't quite come out because it's a hard, uh, it's a hard formulation to make. I I I feel you, but then I think about I think Dumbledore it's also, and I push it. I think it's also just to add on to that. It's hard because this when they go home again with this example of the Israel Club that posted this. This is anti-Semitic, right? When they go back home and they're looking for that, they're looking to connect with. Let's say, let's say we tell them, we tell them the harsh truth, right? And mm-hmm. then they go back home and they're looking to connect specifically with the community that is holding that harsh truth, right? Theoretically. Mm-hmm then even that community they can't really truly trust because they're posting things that they're not accurate in their opinion, you know, that are not, they're not giving yeah. the whole story. They're, they're playing into like, like what, Mike, what you're saying, playing into that whole media. Yeah. Nobody's giving, you know, stories. commercialized. Everybody's yeah. shouting images. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, so it, yeah. It, it puts the student in a really difficult, cause there's really nobody to trust. And it goes back to that. Okay. Well, we can give them books and articles and videos and and everything is accessible today, but where's the truth? I think that's maybe ultimately the question of like, I'm, I'm searching for the truth. And I feel like you are a, a nonpartisan person that could potentially provide that for me. Right. And maybe that was her question. I literally had a student say to me yesterday, we were talking about how leaders fail and how, you know, the rabbis of Europe told Jews before the Holocaust to stay in Europe, it would be okay. She said, I don't understand who you're supposed to put your faith on to trust and just listen to. I said, nobody. She said, but then uh, that leaves me only with me to trust. I said, that's right. And so you have to teach yourself to be as smart and wise and self-trusting as you can be based on careful analysis and growing as a person and being, she says, but I don't trust myself. Wow. What, a, like, what, a, what a conversation. Oof. So yeah. I said, well, I, I said, I really feel your angst. She said, I don't know if it's angst. It's just a lot of emotion. I said, okay, whatever, however you want to. I said, but, but, but this is, what you're describing is the human condition. And so, and so we have to self-educate and self-enlighten as best we can. And sometimes it doesn't matter. And then sometimes when the Gedolim of Europe say stay in Europe, sometimes it really matters. And I, and, I, and, and I honestly think that part of it is turning to experts in as many different topics as you can who can explain things to you. You're not going to be an expert at everything. But there are people who are expert and can communicate and write well and have a well-rounded education. And then, and then that makes you a better judge of things. But never totally trust yourself either. Like always be vigilant and stuff. This is a, this is a difficult intellectual life to be a highly... Uh, to be a person who thinks at high levels. Okay, that's the challenge. And as Jews, we have striven to democratize that process for centuries of making us intelligent, free-thinking, self-evaluating people who question. And, and I, I think that's deeply Jewish, and that's that's part of our job as educators to teach our students, I think. I don't know. It's weird times. Yeah, yeah, what's that? What's that? What's that? Uh, may you live in interesting times is like a curse. Well, these are interesting times. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. That was a good teachers' lounge Israel conversation. Yeah, I would awesome. recommend our massage. I mean, this is 
good grist for like Masa team meetings when we talk about things. That's what the, this was. Uh, I think we covered a lot of good ground. Definitely. Okay, you guys. Yeah, we, we will. It's a conversation. It just keeps going. Yeah, yeah. I think it's we like our podcast. It definitely keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't more people listen to our podcast? All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Leo. Thanks, right. Matt. Yeah. Thanks. And we don't have to log off Zoom, but it's the end of the episode. Bye, Matt's dog. Bye bye. <laughs> Masa Israel Journey is dedicated to shaping a promising future for the young Jewish individual, the global Jewish community, and the connection to the state of Israel. Masa offers life transforming, long term opportunities in Israel that allows fellows to create their own future. Check out MasaIsrael.org for more info.